0: You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, welcome back once again to the Sprott Money News, SprottMoney.com Ask the Expert show. I'm your host Craig Hemke. It is October 2022, and joining us this month is a new guest, Michael Oliver. Some of you will be familiar with Michael through his great work, uh, Momentum Structural Analysis, is how he terms it. You can find his work at Oliver M S a for momentum structural analysis.com. He's been an analyst now for over 40 years and a, uh, well-respected voice in the industries. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks Craig. Good to be here. It's really a pleasure to to make uh, your acquaintance, Michael. I I know on my site, lots of folks uh, follow your work and, um, I'm sure other people listening to us are big fans too. If, if you wouldn't mind, just take a second and tell everybody a little bit about uh, your work at OliverMSA.com. Well, I got started in the future side of the business in 75 with E.F. Hutton.
1: Remember that firm? Yeah. Uh, their headquarters, commodity headquarters in New York, uh, down at Battery Park. And I, I trained under the head of the department, who was also chairman of the COMEX. When this is back when gold had just been legalized for trading on the COMEX, in 75. I was a novice. I was a kid. Okay. And uh, I learned a lot. Uh, he was an orthodox technical analyst, you know, price chart stuff. And he taught taught me that and so forth. But over the years, I evolved a, a momentum-based methodology wherein I would plot price action, but I'd plot it as an oscillator in its relationship to certain moving averages I don't mean laying the average on a price chart. Anybody can do that, but oscillating the price. So for instance, if if today's price is uh, uh, $10 above the three-day average, then on a three-day average oscillator, today's high would be plus 10. If you follow what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. when you create an oscillator, a momentum chart, uh, and we often use very long-term means like uh, three-year averages, 36-month, three-quarter averages. So we, we're looking at mainly the major trends. Uh, we see different picture than what you see when you look at a price chart. And usually, and I, I, when I say usually, I, I mean it without being cocky about it, 80 to 90% of the time, if a trend is gonna change, it will change first and clearly on momentum, not on price. Price will be a lagged indicator. And so we based our research reports on that. We cover all four major asset categories, uh, pretty much globally, You know, equities, bonds, commodities, especially gold and silver. And the debt markets. And in today's age, those things are interrelated. Yeah. (laughs) What the the debt markets are doing uh, affects a lot of things and uh, the foreign exchange markets, et cetera. So anyway, that's what we do. Primarily, our customers have been institutional. Uh, Five, six years ago, we opened it up to individual subscribers. But uh, we provide about five reports a week. So it's pretty intense, a lot of reading. But uh, anyway, that's
0: what we do. All at olivermsa.com. Um, and you know what, it's in, you mentioned working at EF Hutton. Uh, as we record this, it's October 19th, it's the 35th anniversary of uh Black Monday. Um yeah. where were you that day? Just out of curiosity. Well, I wasn't there. Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> I, I had been there prior to that, uh th- going back and forth to New York, starting my business actually. Uh that's when the uh Al-Qaeda blew up the World Trade Center. Uh, It was a parking lot at one of the World Trade Centers, if you recall that. And uh, where they uh, had a bomb go off in a a garage parking. I think it killed a few people. But, you know, they came back and finished the job. Uh, They uh, apparently figured, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And sure enough, years later, they came back. Uh, but no, I was not there at the time of that event. I was down in uh, North Carolina, I believe.
0: Hard, um, hard to believe it's 35 years. I, I was, yeah, it's that long. Yeah. My goodness gracious. All right. Well, and it, one more thing before we get started, please, everybody listening, uh, remember that this is all brought to you by Uh, There's a couple things you can do to thank them for bringing you this great content month after month. You can go to sproutmoney.com, always ch- uh, check them out for their deals on physical metal, And on storage of that metal, uh, great deals all the time. You can actually call them as well at 888-861-0775. But hey, if anything, just uh, shoot them a like or a subscribe on whatever channel you're listening to. And that'll help them spread the word on precious metals as well. Um, Michael, let's get started. I've got seven questions for you. Uh, The first one, I guess, actually kind of plays right off of what you were just discussing. Um, This person uh, doesn't really understand traditional technical analysis, but would like to learn more. Uh, Where would you send someone to to, to get a kind of a basic education in technical analysis? Oh,
1: gee. Um, Actually, the best book is a guy I knew back at Hutton. um, And uh, his name is Arthur Sklaru. I don't know if he's still around or not, uh, Sklaru, S-K-L-A-R-E-W. You can go to Amazon.com and find Arthur Sklarew's book called, it's, I'd rather call the title, it's Techniques of a Professional Commodity Chart Analyst. Hmm. It's probably the best book I've ever read on orthodox technical analysis. Uh, he does venture into a few other, into some momentum type things, but it's a great book for, for beginners and I think he's got solid ideas, unlike a lot of technical books that... Tend to go off into almost religious type tones about right. you know, the, the magic of this timing or something. Anyway, uh, that that's a good book. I'd recommend to anybody who's just just starting out.
0: It's S K L A R E W. Yeah, Arthur
1: Sklaru. Uh, t-
0: techniques of a Professional Commodity Chart Analyst. All right, I like it. I'm going to check that one out myself. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's move on to question number two. This gets uh, to the heart of the matter in current markets, I guess, and that I think at least my perception, I suppose a lot of people listening is that the Fed will attempt to keep the plate spinning rather than crash all markets, um, that that pivot is eventually coming, Uh, in your mind, what will be the primary cause of that pivot? Will it be a crash in the stock market? Will be something, you know, runaway selling in the bond market? Maybe something in the emerging markets? So where do you think it might come from? Uh, All of the above, but no, primarily, I think
1: there's something that nobody's talking about. They're looking at the stock market coming down and they're thinking like a normal bear market and, you know, it's et cetera, et cetera. This is not normal, folks. The stock market is the biggest equity bubble in U.S. history. The S&P went up sevenfold due to QE's infinitum from 2009 through 2021. And the NASDAQ 100 went up 16-fold. Find me a bull market that had any kind of metric like that. The 1929 top was like a triple, okay? The dot-com bubble was hardly anything more than about a triple. The move from uh, 2002 low to the 2007 real estate high was a double. Okay, they, So when they collapsed, they were very painful. The real world felt it. But we have a bubble like you've never seen. Central Bank created it, and now the Central Bank has pushed a pin into it. It has burst its own bubble. It will be out of, ha- out of their control. They can try to stop it at some point. Right now, they're helping to exacerbate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you've got to watch the bond markets right now. Uh, U.S. government, U.K., Japanese, I'm talking government bonds now, the precious asset, right? Uh, The one the feds, the central banks must defend come hell or high water. They have to defend those things, regardless of what their policy intents claim to be. Uh, They're going to have to print, print, print to defend those markets at some point. They also have to protect against what's going on in the Forex markets, because the recent dollar strength, and I say recent, since May especially, Uh, has exacerbated the T-bond crisis in Japan and the UK especially. And we're even at a point now where Yellen, a week ago, said she was very concerned, and I put quotes around it and an exclamation point, about illiquidity in the US T-bond market. Illiquidity is a disastrous term. Down is one thing. Illiquid is another. And when she used that term, she's recognizing reality out there. And she's very concerned about it. And it's going to require, at some point... Now, the longer they delay, the worse it'll be uh, that the central banks will have to come in and defend these assets, meaning they're going to have to print so they can talk all they want about a, a given direction. But uh, when that asset becomes, in, gets into jeopardy, the game changes. And I think gold does that.
0: Right. Um, well, you know what? I, let me, I'm going to shuffle the deck here on the order of the questions in because you kind of teed me up for question number three, Michael. Um If the Fed does cause a liquidity crisis, and it certainly seems to be trending that way, uh, do you have a downside target in mind for the S&P? No, Uh, except to say that it should be very painful in
1: the real world, because when you have a dozen years of artificial pricing of paper assets, not just the stock market, but muni bonds, which have collapsed huge, uh, high-yield corporate debt, which has collapsed now such that high-yield corporate debt... Uh, using HYG as an ETF, for example. Uh, The only thing left for it to take out are the 2009 lows. Do you remember those days? Okay. So Mm -hmm. we had a crisis and uh, once it comes unwound, it reveals errors that were made by individuals, corporations, and governments all during those years, based upon false economic assumptions. Assumptions based on where will rates be? How much is the cost of money? How How much is the quantity of money? If all of a sudden the Fed tries to change that, it's like 52 card pickup. All of your assumptions go out the window and decisions you made exposed, the errors are exposed. And even if they try to come in and rescue it, it's highly likely, and this is true in the past, by the way, that fund, that river flow, a renewed river flow from the central banks will not go where they want it to go. It's highly likely to more so go into gold and into commodities to some, a lesser extent than gold.
0: Uh, it will find a d-
1: different asset category to go into this time around.
0: I might follow up with that because I, on my side, I've talked about how you know, they've pulled this trick now three or four times since 2009. You know, oh, QE was a one-off and we're going to raise rates back to normal, whatever that is, run the balance sheet back down. And this is like the fourth time that the markets have seemed to believe them. Do you think maybe this next time everybody will roll their eyes finally and go, yeah, yeah, it is not going back to normal. No, there's a
1: point of disbelief, and you know, uh, I think there's a still a belief in the Fed and its sobriety and so forth. But I think that's going to go out the window in the next. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if it goes out the window next year, meaning faith in the Fed having any confidence in the Fed. Right. In fact, right now you can hear a, a cacophony of voices out there from mainstream pro-Fed type economists who are saying, "Oops." Maybe you've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And they're mm-hmm. recognizing the underlying reality. Uh, and the longer the Fed doesn't recognize that, the worse that reality will become.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right. Let's uh, I take go on to question four. This gets back, really, I, I guess, to a lot to what you do uh, with momentum structural analysis. Uh, what cues do you look for in detecting market tops and bottoms? Um uh,
1: the same t- type of things that people would look for in a price chart, for example, basing action. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is you'll see momentum create basing action, meaning it goes down to a certain point, And then suddenly the momentum action starts to go sideways. OK, build a base. But you look at the price chart and it's still going down. So the price is not telling you that there's a basing action underway, but momentum will tell you that. Uh, for example, uh, well, you can even start to see it to some extent in price right now among the gold miners. Uh, in July, the for instance, the GDX ETF was trading just above 24 near a low. Well, heck, we've been trading either side of 24 this month. You know, it's uh-huh. a August, SEP, OCH, OK, well, it's three full months later. Uh, and we're flip-flopping around sort of sideways with the downside bias. But most of the momentum readings are, are not going down to new lows. They're making higher lows. So we're getting a deviation there between gold, gold miners, and so forth, versus what you see on the price charts. And that's like an early warning that, hey, yeah, price looks, looks terrible, right? Uh, don't count on it. Price never gets, looks good at a low, ever. <laughs> You'll fact and find any major low in, in gold or in the gold miners historically and look at the price chart when it occurred, and it looks terrible. Uh, Usually momentum, though, will not look so terrible at that same point in time. Silver kind of looks that way too, doesn't it? Silver, absolutely. In fact, it's our assessment that the silver-gold relationship, the spread difference between them, and we measure that continually, has now shifted positive to silver. Now, it's not bloody evident on the price charts, that's for sure yet. But when we plot silver as a percent of the price of gold, uh, recently it got down to like one near one percent the price of gold. Uh and it flipped back up to about 1.3%. Uh it's broken out on momentum. Not so much evident on the spread chart itself, but the momentum says the downtrend that we've seen in that relationship, which has been ongoing since early 2021, by the way, where silver has been losing value to gold. So for more than a year and a half, silver has been underperformer momentum says, nope, don't count on that continuing. Looks like it's turned. So that's one of the signs we look for, because frankly, the spread change in silver and gold is usually very telling about the net trend action of those markets. Meaning when silver shifts to an outperformed status, however subtly it does so, that usually is a warning indication you're about to have a net trend positive for both markets with silver leading. And I think that's where we are now. We're on the cusp of that.
0: Well, now, Michael, I've got to shuffle my questions again because what had, was going to be the last question, I've now got to move up to question five because you've teed it up so perfectly. Question five becomes, what is your outlook for silver? Uh, will it ever see $50 again? And do you pay much attention to the gold-silver ratio? I do. We
1: do pay attention, but we pay attention to its momentum. Uh, by momentum, I, for example, we have a breakout last month where momentum measured by the three-month average of silver versus gold, plotting an oscillator again. Broke out above a base that's a year and a half wide. Okay, now, historically, <clears throat> if you go back oh, to the mid-70s, you know, gold was coming up from the $30 range to 200 1975. Dropped back to 100 went up to 850 dropped back to 250 went to 1900 et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that ratio of silver to gold has swung. There are many, many years in that last forty-some odd years where silver ratio, as we measure it, has risen above two percent, meaning the price of silver was more than two percent the price of gold. Well, even at current levels, let's say gold's at two thousand dollars. Okay, two percent of that is what? Okay, it's off the page. It's way above where we are now. Silver has been at six and a half percent the price of gold. Several times it's been up above four percent the price of gold over the last 40 some odd years. So there there are many moves where silver has been up to four to six percent over the price of of the price of gold. Well, now let's go back to gold. Gold has produced since the early 70s three major bull markets, each of which was either a sevenfold move. Or two eightfold moves measuring from bear market low to bull market high. So, in other words, it's three times in 40 something years, it's created seven to eightfold bull markets. We certainly have a fundamental environment that would justify another major bull market. In fact, we're probably in the middle of one. Well, our last bear low was at 1,050. If it merely went eightfold again, replicating prior bull market trends of the last 40 years, it'd be $8,000 gold. Well, if silver were merely at 2% of the price of gold when that occurred, okay, be, what, 200, 200 plus dollars, okay, mm-hmm. so its potentials on the assumption that there's more gold bull market here, which we think there is, we think we're only in a big pause period, and silver goes to its normal ratios uh, like I said, in many of the years of the last forty, it's been over two percent. The majority of them, in fact. Uh, then, and if gold went to a normal eightfold move at some point, you know, a year or two from now, due to the financial crisis that's now developing. Uh, silver could easily be a couple hundred dollars an ounce. So, could it go to fifty? Yes. <laughs> it and then, would and
0: not be it, abnormal it, whatsoever. And I don't think it would stop there. The current, in in your, I guess, historically, you know, watching these prices, the current. 1% or so, or expressed differently, a ratio of a hundred to one, that's pretty unusual. That's pretty low. Yes, it is. There've been times before we've been this
1: low, so it's not that unusual, but it is an extreme. And so if you like buying low, think about buying silver versus gold now, Yeah. okay? Unless your assumption is gold's going to $200 or something, you know, and it's all over. Uh, uh, you, if, you, if you assume that, you don't understand what central banks are all about. Right. Uh, They create paper money and they do it to defend, primarily to
0: defend government debt. And that's where the crisis is now, we're now facing. And getting worse. Um, Okay, Michael, just two questions left to go. Uh, This takes the sixth question goes back to gold and the gold miners. You'd mentioned uh, some of your momentum analysis looks like perhaps GDX is basing. Um, question six was just simply that. Do you expect gold and the gold miners to turn higher soon? Yes, and, and we've, we've uh, said some nasty
1: words about gold miners a few years ago. It's a, a broad general observation that the miners are like, and, and silver to some extent too, this is true, are like little yapping dogs on a leash. Gold is the mama. Gold holds the leash and ultimately determines the major trends. But even when gold has a modest pullback on a percentage basis, the gold miners go berserk on the downside. <laughs> Get an XAU chart, for example, at Philadelphia Gold Silver Mining Index. It goes further back than GDX. And overlay it. Go back to 1999, for example. Gold was making a, a, another bear low. Then at about 250 and went to 1900 within the next what, decade. Um, look what XAU has done over all those years since then. It's gone back down under 100 repeatedly, gone well up. But while gold makes continually ascending, sharply ascending lows, in other words, an upward curvature trend over the last 20 plus years, uh, the gold miners keep coming back down to the mat again. Now, my assumption there is that though it's a small sector, we know that in terms of, you know, compared to any other stock market sector. And the investors in that arena are obviously very emotional. Uh, They get very emotional on the upside, which is, of course, great if you're long, and they get very emotional on the downside, and they don't seem to understand that process. Uh, And I think we're at one of those points now where they've gotten super emotional on the downside without solid justification. And therefore, we're looking at basement bargain opportunities in the mining sector if you take an investment grade view of it. Now, If you're looking to trade it in the options for the next two months, then that's a different story. But I think we're now in one of those zones, again, where the gold miners should be viewed as uh, the multiples on the upside are incredible at this point compared to further downside risk. All
0: right. One last question, then. We've spent a lot of time talking about inflation. You just mentioned a few minutes ago about how that's um, the central bank's job is to print cash to fund government deficits in this current system. Um, As I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Fed will get it to come down some, but structurally, it seems like it's here to stay, at least to me. So as inflation in the U.S. worsens, or at least stays the same in the years to come, do you think the S&P, equities in general, will outperform gold or will it be vice versa? Uh, I think they're about to vastly underperform. They've done fairly well over the last
1: 50 years, obviously, the stock market as U.S. market in particular, uh, largely because of central bank boom-bust cycles. Uh, and this particular last one is a major boom cycle, uh which is now in bust phase. but no, I think because of the nature of the the bubble that was created and therefore the unraveling of that bubble uh which is going to occur, uh, whether Fed wants to reverse course at some future point or not, it's going to occur uh, will make stock market vastly bad place to be uh and in fact, it wouldn't surprise me that in the next bear market stocks, you get a situation where Unlike prior boom-bust cycles that are refed with liquidity and they go back up, make a new high within several years, you could be looking at a decade or two where it just lays in the weeds. Much like, for instance, after the 1974 bear market low, stock market was a wasteland. It rallied off that low, but then it went sideways in 1982 before it could get its engine going again. Uh, So I think that's the kind of outlook we've got for stocks. One, major down two. Don't count on a, a quick turn to the upside that sustains. Instead, expect a wasteland. Uh, and as far as inflation goes, I think people misdefine it. We have constant inflation. The stock market bubble was inflation, meaning money chasing an asset, money created out of nothing. Uh, it just so happened that in, uh, asset managers and investors allocated that river flow into the stock market. They've now begun to, as of late 2020, when we called a commodity explosion at that time, and it's since exploded well before the Russian invasion, by the way. Uh, we thought that the asset flow, the river flow, would go into commodities because they were vastly underpriced to stocks. And sure enough, that's what's been happening. And I don't think that's going to end. I think right now in the commodity area where you're getting a pullback right now, Bloomberg's down around 110, it's been up to in the 130s, for example. Uh, we think you're probably near a corrective low with more to go on the upside. But uh, once investors and asset managers make that kind of long-term mental shift out of one category they deem to be now high risk, lower reward into something they consider low risk, higher reward, they don't shift back within months. They usually keep, keep that trend going for several years. And that's what I'd expect here. But commodity quote inflation is not the definition of inflation. It's the monetary expansion. Get an M2 chart and go back 50 years. From the St. Louis Fed, you can get one. Look at an M2 chart. It's gone up 20-fold since the mid-70s. What other markets also gone up 20-fold since the mid-70s? Gold. (laughs) Inflation's been there the whole time.
0: Yeah. Michael, this has been fantastic. Uh, Very, very informative. And I think for everybody listening, they can obviously benefit Uh, from learning more about you and your services. Again, they can go to olivermsa.com. Is that right? That's right. And your services is subscription and and information you put out on almost a daily basis.
1: Almost a daily basis. And uh, we describe on that site our methodology. um, uh, Also, you can find my lovely picture there. Mm -hmm. Right below it is an email. You can send me an email and we'll send you sample reports, recent reports. Uh, There are also some samples on the site, but they tend to be dated. Yep. Uh, but you get a good idea of what our methodology is and, and some of our past history
0: great stuff Michael thank you so much again I, I want to remind everybody on your way out again please thank Sprott money for this content it's as uh, easy as a like or a subscribe on the channel you're listening to or of course you can always pick up the phone anytime you're in the market for physical precious metal that number again 888. 888- 861-0775. Our guest has been Michael Oliver, Momentum Structural Analysis. Michael, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Craig. And from all of us here at Sprout Money News and SproutMoney.com, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.